Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com I'm also on AlanWattSentientSentinel.eu Today is July the 13th, 2007. In August, you'll find there's going to be another meeting of the three amigos. The faces change, and it really doesn't matter what names they have, since they're front men anyway for a long-term agenda, intergenerational as we know. We saw the retirement of two of the amigos and another fresh pair take over for Canada and Mexico. They're going to sign an agreement in Quebec, Canada, in August to further this amalgamation of the Americas. It's wonderful, you know, being in a democracy where kingly type of declarations are dished out to the public, you know, the great unwashed masses down below, where we're eventually told what's next. None of this is ever discussed, you'll notice, in any election anywhere. The major things that affect us all from the the wars we get into, and which were planned in advance many, many years ago, or these amalgamations, like corporate amalgamations, just the same thing, really, in the eyes of the big boys, who are heads of international corporate boards anyway. To them, it's the amalgamation of business because the general populace in every country happen to be the business. As every person who studied Lenin knows or Marx, nothing comes into the system unless the people make it and produce it. Work, in other words, labor is what creates what they call wealth. I say they call wealth because that's not wealth to me. They're already discussing and given permission, in fact, for American troops to be brought in for security purposes while this amalgamation further agreement towards it, anyway, goes on. And there's a usual outcry from the usual groups, which will get nowhere. You get groups and university students who are allocated specific safe areas way, way from the the particular party that will come into these buildings and all probably get new outfits to wear. They'll like to dress them up in some outfit for their PR shots or for photographic shots to the public and they'll smile and then we get the usual good enough for the people quip from the media about what they said which will be very little, in fact, because that's what the public end up with, is very little. And it's really a training exercise to the general masses who are never conscious. The general masses of the populace aren't really conscious. They float through their lives. They think they're awake, but they're not in any real sense. They're composite characters. In fact, they're made up of mosaics, of bits and pieces and bits and bytes they've taken from television. They look at the other ones around them who are much the same in the little boxes they live in called houses, all stuck next door to each other. And that's how they judge their reality. Am I the same as the rest? Well, it appears to be so, so I must be normal. Things are good. They have to be, even though I'm worried about finances. But it must be good because everyone else looks fairly happy. They all put their personas on, their pretenses, as they go through these trained ritualistic routines of greeting each other. And when asked, how is it going? Oh, great, they'll say, or fine. Or they'll boast about their latest acquisition that's just put them in the hole, you know, the big debt hole even further, and will also produce much more quiet arguments behind doors, of course, at least behind their own walls in their homes. That goes on all over the place in this dysfunctional society we now live. You can't count on the general population to ever wake up because they're under what has 
been the most intensive form of mind control yet to be applied to the general public beginning with birth and inoculations and actually beginning before that with the food that the mother was eating all denaturalized processed foods and the father of course the sperm and the ovum are already lacking in certain qualities the IQ drops and the baby is born that way and then it's further dropped by the inoculations which target not only the brain but also the immune system to make them much much weaker than they should be if if they lived naturally and lived healthily it doesn't really matter because they're already damaged they then drink the fluoride and my goodness I think the listeners will probably know because listeners generally are much more awake than the general populace the whole history of fluoride is so well documented I, I won't go on about it it's incredible what they've done from the beginning knowing exactly what fluoride would do to the human body and to the brain therefore you can't really blame the general public completely for their apparent lack of interest in things the school system as has been well documented it has been scientifically designed to literally discourage independent thought it discourages in fact even the, the power to reason properly it, dis- it discourages questions it's all groupthink today consensus building a scientific indoctrination where everything that school teaches them must be true and everything that the teacher says must be true and every documentary they're shown at school must be true but whatever their old-fashioned parents say is tossed out the window because the children have been turned against their parents at school and that's been going on for a long time no coincidence either the generations had to be separated in order to control each generation there's no continuity of information experience or wisdom passed on from one to the next therefore each generation is naive incredibly naive never knowing the past never knowing even the recent past and never knowing that their own lives and that which will experience in their lives is just part of one big business plan where they are economic units or as Charles Galton Darwin said in the next million years they're living in a more sophisticated form of slavery now before I go on I'd like to mention that people can order books from me CDs, I I could be rolling enough money to go a lot further if I had had time to churn out more. But I decided against it for a while and just put out the information while there is time to put it out. I live like some kind of Spartan here, and most folk couldn't even live in the manner in which I managed to survive. So those who are are able to give donations, please do so. They are welcome. I am overwhelmed with work here. I often don't have time to eat, and I'm not joking about that. I try to discourage calls, phone calls coming in, because although people like to chat, if I have a talk to do, which has to be recorded and put on computer and formatted and all the rest of it, I also have to cut out the phone calls and the ringing and then then splice it all back together, basically. Although it's all on computer, it takes much more time to do so. So I discourage all the, the phone calls that come in. Not because I don't like to talk to people. It's just, honestly, I don't have the time. 
at the moment. I would like it to be different, but it doesn't really look like it will be. And that's why I haven't been putting out more books and discs to bring in an income. I certainly could go much, much deeper, and I, I plan to do so with a series on the real occult, not all the rubbish you've heard so far uh, from the usual sources, including the Philosophical Society, that can only go so far with their understanding. I'll give you the, the meanings all down through the ages of all the symbols and the higher meanings and the higher meanings and the higher meanings because there are many levels of meanings as you progress through them because you must understand the symbology that's being used a symbology that fascinates people and they get trapped in the exoteric explanations because exoteric explanations are meant to trap you in wonder, they're written wonderfully just like Bibles are written with stories with wonderful stories and you picture every individual in that story you can see them in your mind and you don't know the real truth or the real meanings behind it all that's how the exoteric is always written whether it's tarot whether it's astrology or anything else it's meant to fascinate you and drag you in and you get trapped and what you think is a truth but is actually one of the levels one of the levels of the exoteric keep your eyes open in the media for little quips you'll see coming up to do with this next three amigo get together a formality really in 2005 it was announced when they signed the first open public agreement to amalgamate the Americas. They said they'd have another four or five to do. Well, this is the next big one coming up, and it's supposed to be held in Montebello, Quebec, Canada, August the 20th, 21st, 2007. You'll, uh, you'll find there'll probably be a lot of riots there and so on, and the general public will think, oh, look at them students again, and switch their brains off, not that they really had them switched on, certainly not at full power. And that's how they make decisions, you see, because they always have provocateur groups at these meetings, paid for by the same security agencies that, that keep all the students packed into a different uh, part of the town. But they pay provocateurs, the big boys, the agencies, the governments, pay them to create a little bit of mayhem and anarchy. And anarchy, of course, turns people's, people off. They, they think it's just the youth complaining again, and that's as far as they deem to think. And these are simply, as I say, formalities, because the agreements are written pretty well in stone. Uh, these characters never alter their business plan and their dates for anybody or anything. But at least this time, they've been a bit more straightforward and allowing U.S. troops access to Canadian soil. And that's just a formality too, because you see after 9-11... It was announced across Canada by the CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, you know, the government-funded, owned station, that we'd already integrated our security forces. That includes the military, you see. It's already here and has been for quite some time. In fact, they were already integrating long before 9-11 happened. Ah, for the world we live in. Today I was on the Republic Broadcasting Network radio, filling in for Michael Herzog 
for a couple of hours. And I'm always cautious as to how I phrase things to an American public who are used to hearing traditional solutions to all of these problems. The traditional solutions is always stuck in the framework that they have rights and that they have a constitution and so on. They don't realize it's been thrown out of the window a long time ago. Long time ago. If they can get past that stage, I know, they can start taking proper steps, including the realization that they are in an intergenerational battle and that it's their children who are currently being brainwashed and that they must start communicating deeply and quickly for the first time. Unfortunately, there's not enough of the the older people, the grandparents involved in the families anymore to give them their histories, their recent histories, which they must know because the United States was not as I say, uh, an Andy of Maybury society. People don't even know of the turmoil within the United States right up into the 50s and 60s, the 1950s and 60s. They don't know that across the United States lots and lots of people lived in factory towns, a system developed in Europe and in England where the factor, the owner of the factory owned the town and the employees rented from their boss and the boss also owned the stores in town the pharmacy in town he owned the doctor that you hired he owned the minister who gave you your sermons and told you to be good and obey the rules And the people were kept in a state of poverty. They couldn't save up. That's why the unions came into being in the United States. They were basically owned in a system that was feudal, a system that went back through Europe for centuries. The same system that still existed in Britain when I grew up in many parts of the country of the UK it was the same system going back to Thomas Malthus from the 1700s you could keep the average family that it all worked out mathematically how much you earned how much you paid out what nutritional value you would take in according to what they'd allow you to afford Would you be strong enough to cause trouble? Would you be strong enough to think very clearly? And so you were kept almost in a malnourished state. Food has always been used as a weapon going all the way back to Sumer and Egypt and upwards to the present time. As it still is, in fact, because they've already started the war long ago on your food when they first denaturalized it. Healthy mind, healthy body. You need both. Look at people around you today, and the obesity you will see. That's the result of malnourishment. They have lots of calories, but the nourishment isn't there. The bodies that they have are craving something which they're not getting from the foods they eat. And that's planned too. Again, read Thomas Malthus and his essays on population. He's talking about population control. Well, on RBN I mentioned how these large dynasties, these big family dynasties who hold tremendous wealth and power, rise up. And the reality behind them 
these monsters that we now call benefactors and philanthropists and who hire all their front NGO leaders who speak for us and decide what direction they choose to take us. And that's what they call the new democracy. The Soviet system is well alive and it's kicking and it's here and it's a worldwide now. These NGOs work at the top. A lot of the followers don't know it, but the ones at the top do. They work for the big boys. Now, I don't, I don't get paid, by the way, for these radio shows I'm on. I've never had payment from any show or television show that I've been on, just to let you know. Here's a, a little bit about the Rockefellers, these great philanthropists who are interwoven with CIA. They give out citizenship of the world awards to most of the famous people you see on television. They all have awards from them. The ones who pretend to lead your nation for the nation. It's because the Rockefellers, an American dynasty by Peter Collier and David Horowitz published by Holt Reinhardt Winston well worth reading it talks about old man Rockefeller in the early 1900s who'd accumulated massive amounts of money in the oil and coal and iron industries all the mineral sources and resources the same thing as Cecil Rhodes and his groups were doing on behalf of London across Africa they had their own boys in the United States doing the same thing who belonged to the same club by the way one of his companies was called the Colorado Fuel and Iron they had they had factories and mines also in Pennsylvania. Here's what it said in page 111. United Miners Workers Union had complained about the measly conditions they had, terrible conditions. There were deaths every day and there were paid pittances for themselves and their families. And this happened in many towns across the United States. One of them was called Ludlow. They settled into tent colonies. This is what the miners did. They settled in tent colonies. The United Miners Workers Union had set up for them near the small, nearby anonymous mining towns of the area. One of them was named Ludlow. This is 23rd of uh, September, 1913. What previously had been regarded as isolated incidents between the detectives, because, you see, they brought in detectives and private armies on behalf of Rockefeller and the group. It says here, and miners now turned into military skirmishes. One of the most serious occurred on October 17th when the Baldwin Feltz men, these are private strike breakers uh, agencies. That's why I always tell people to beware of private armies, and we know about the big private army that's being formed right now, don't we? The Baldwin Feltz men piled in the armoured car the miners called the Death Special, and they raced through the tent colony near Forbes, raking the area with fire from two mounted machine guns and then speeding off into the dusk. The miners retaliated as best they could, and two weeks later Colorado's governor, Ammons, finally called out the National Guard in an attempt to restore the peace. For a time, the militiamen tried to enforce the Colorado law that forbade bringing scabs into an area where there was a labor dispute. But in the bitter winter months ahead, the state found itself unable to meet the militia's payroll without help from the business interests. The guard became openly partisan, in other words, were paid off, 
escorting into the coal field strike breakers who had been imported by rail from as far away as Pittsburgh and Toledo. Then late February, with the state treasury depleted, Governor Ammons, Ammons, A-M-M-A-M-M-O-N-S, Ammons, as in Ammon Ra, what a coincidence, eh? They pulled out all but a few strategically stationed units. Most of the militiamen who remained were openly antagonistic to the strikers. On the morning of April the 20th, the labor war that had thus far cost dozens of lives came to its bloody climax. A company of militia that had repeatedly clashed with the strikers took up a position on a rise overlooking the tents of Ludlow. The chill wind whipped up at laundry, drying stiffly on the clotheslines and curled the smoke climbing out of stove pipes poked through the tent tops. The strikers stared suspiciously at the men above them, and then just after daybreak a shot rang out from an unknown source, and the jittery militiamen responded by opening fire from their Hotchkiss guns, beginning a battle that would last all day. As their tents punctured with bullets caught fire, the strikers retreated to positions and cellars dug under the floorboards, By nightfall, the scene was one of complete devastation. There were forty dead and countless wounded, but the worst was to come for next morning as the people of Ludlow emerged from underground and walked through the smouldering colony, counting their losses. They discovered the bodies of two women and eleven children who had suffocated in a cellar when the tent above them had burned. That rage had found its symbol, and as news of it spread, other colonies of strikers began an offensive against the mine operators, seizing towns and attacking company outposts within a 250-mile radius of Ludlow. President Woodrow Wilson ordered federal troops into the area to end what threatened to become an all-out war. That type of thing was going on in Andy of Maybury, you see. That was really what was happening in the the, the very beginning of the 1900s and had already been happening through the 1800s as well. Hollywood did a great job of convincing everyone there was nothing happening except cowboys and Indians. Industry had been there for a long time and the big magnets had been in power for a long time. You should find out too how the big boys accumulated their wealth and their oil because nothing was too dirty for them to do, including burning out any competition, including their oil wells, when necessary, in order to take them over. But the greatest thing of all is how you're, you're told in books like these how the PR men were brought in to change the image of a monster into a philanthropist who cared about the world and would donate money to good causes, causes of his own choosing and sometimes of his own making because they guide the world from both sides. The rod and the staff, you see, must be used to guide the people. Now, with the takedown of the old Soviet system as it expands and merges with the capitalist system as it was always meant to do those rights through unions and individual rights too that came with them are being taken away again because you don't have to be pampered anymore you don't have to be conned anymore and and babied by people who despise you now you are seeing their true face once more. Uh, a face that's been seen down through the ages. The tyrant's face. The arrogant one. Who is very blatant in his arrogance. They all look the same. In all ages. Their comments are all the same in all ages. The media is there of course to smooth out their statements for us to make them more palatable or to rephrase them in fuzzy, nice ways so that we don't get the right impression. That's the world we live in. Really nasty. And it's going to get a lot worse.
because we are the commoners. The commoners whose job now is over, almost, when they bring about this new efficient society, no one will be allowed to exist without a purpose in this new society, this wonderful new world order that's been on the go for a long time. This long-range business plan, which always has said that the public are there to serve the system and not the system to serve the public. It's no secret that all NATO countries have prepared and signed agreements to deal with massive rioting in all of their countries, which they have predicted are going to come along. And yet Joe Average that watches TV with his wife, who watches the soaps and he's watching the sports, will go to the very end not knowing that in reality they're the enemy. And when you sit back watching people across the world being blown up and killed and butchered by your own sons and daughters, funded by your own tax money, why on earth do you think it eventually won't come round and eat you because the monster that starts off this way becomes hungrier all the time? It doesn't distinguish one peasant in one country to a peasant in another. What goes around comes around. As you sow, so shall you reap. And if you don't cry out for the injustices in the world for others, there's going to be no one to cry out for you. This strict regime of being told what you're to do through all the, the scientific experts and societies and agencies is being stepped up. Stepped up big time. We've had wars on everything, poverty, smoking, the drugs, the drugs increase. Now they're going for a war on obesity. I mentioned this a few years ago, that the United Nations would, would then turn to that. They make the people malnourished. They encourage the culture that feeds them all the fast foods because they had to get fast foods to get mum and dad out working. They couldn't have one at home cooking anymore. They wanted them both out there consuming and producing and doubling the tax base, plus separate themselves from the children. But don't worry, television was taking care of them. The result, of course, we see all around us of malnourished people who are very fat but can't stop eating. Now, sure enough, along it comes an article by Peter Griffiths from Thursday, July the 12th, London Routers, or some people say Reuters. It says, A fat tax on salty, sugary and fatty foods could save thousands of lives each year, according to a study published on Thursday. A study. I love how they phrase things. Researchers at Oxford University say that changing value-added tax See, they've had value-added tax in Britain since about the the 70s, the early 70s, VAT, they call it. It was supposed to come out on luxury goods only initially, but only a few idiots believed that. It spread to everything else. And the value-added tax is going to start at 17.5% on foods deemed to be unhealthy, and would cut consumer demand and reduce the number of heart attacks and strokes because they care about you. That's why they made you fat in the first place and malnourished you and gave you inoculations and fluoride and altered all the food that you eat through big organizations working with your governments. So here's your benefactors back at it again. The purchase tax is already levied on a small number of products such as potato crisps, ice cream confectionery and chocolate biscuits. But most food is exempt, lastly at the moment. At the moment. The move could save... I love how they get these statistics. 
They probably built a computer to give them this one. The move could save an estimated 3,200 lives in Britain each year, according to the study in the Journal of Epidemiology and Community Health. A well-designed, carefully targeted fat tax could be a useful tool for reducing the burden of food-related disease, the study concluded. The team from Oxford Department of Public Health said higher taxes have already, already been imposed on cigarettes and alcohol to encourage healthy living and misery. I added the last part there. You see, without any fun, Jack becomes a dull boy. They used a mathematical formula to estimate the the effect of higher prices on the demand for foods such as pastries, cakes, cheese and butter. However, they said the research only gave a rough guide to the number of lives that could be saved and said more work was needed to get an exact picture of how taxes could improve public health. See, taxes are good for you. Taxes are healthy. Any fat tax might be seen as an attack on personal freedom and would would weigh more heavily, oh, like the pun, eh, on poor families, the study warned. That's typically Oxford. A food tax would raise average weekly household bills by 4.6% or 67 pence per person. Former Prime Minister Tony Blair has previously rejected the idea as an example of the nanny state that might push people away from healthy food. Well, where do you find the healthy food now, Mr. Blair? This is the guy that brought in the, 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 the genetically modified food and made it law. Eh? The Food and Drink Federation has called the proposed tax patronising and says it would hit low-income families hardest. Boy, I love all these federations and think tanks who get paid to do these studies. I mean, you have to be a genius to come up with that. Eh? The Food and Drink Federation has called the proposed tax patronising says it would hit low-income families. I wonder how much you got paid to, to figure that out. It suggests that people eat a balanced diet. Balanced diet. The British Heart Foundation says it does not support the tax. We believe the government should focus on ensuring healthy foods are financially and geographically accessible to everyone, it said, because I always give you the dialectic, you see. And, yeah, here we go. And, and you see, this is all part of bringing you in. They want to psychologically evaluate every child, to begin with all children's schools, every year. And then to, to continue, when you're used to it, you continue all through your life to make sure that you're dumbed down enough to, to stay in their workforce. You're, you're, you've passed their, their quality approval standards of being pretty dumb. And they want you to do the same thing with your health. You know, watching you, weighing you, measuring you from birth to death. Uh, this is the, the scientific era. Science is a new god. And because science has thrown the God out, you see, then you're going to be much, much worse in, an, worse in an atheistic system than any religious system was before, and they were bad enough. The new religion doesn't have any empathy in it whatsoever. There's no humanity or empathy in science. It's supposedly run on hard facts, which alter all the time. So that's where they're going with their food too. Um, it's just totalitarianism and tyranny by quacks, really. Lots of quacks. And really to get you, you all used to the idea, a generation growing up, living in, under terrorism, living and seeing black-clad ninja outfits on every street corner with machine guns, and the creation of the apathy that being measured and weighed and having your mind examined every year will cause is to dehumanize every ordinary person on the planet. Dehumanization causes tremendous apathy. This is the purpose of all of this. You see, all this stuff is nonsense. As I say, they cause the problems, then they come up supposedly with their solutions because the problems are evident the causes of the problems are not evident to the people, usually, who don't think very far. They believe everything the television tells them. So, get used to it as they go. This is all from the United Nations, by the way. You know, the real boss. They come up with all this stuff, and they get the governments to sign these agreements. And then the governments to simply implement it automatically into law. It's the same with all the building codes worldwide. They all come from the United Nations. 
and they're all designed eventually so you can't keep up with all the standards which are constantly going up until you're broke and you're off what used to be your property. And they'll get you off one way or another. They'll either fine you off because you can't comply or or tax you off when you try to comply. The end of private property is to be part of their goal, one of their milestones. Now I'd also look into the articles that Mark Bard does in his parallelnormal.com. He is a professional journalist. He teaches journalism and he tries to present the facts without the spin and that's a rare thing in this day and age where people are worried about losing their jobs, their standards of income and that also leads to the dissolution of the family because those under financial stress or the threat of losing work will have strife at home that's the way it is that's how beautiful this system is for the big boys they have everyone under their thumb through fear and threat of nasty outcomes in a a system of money no one really feels secure at the bottom and that's the majority of the public it's not meant that you feel secure it's designed to keep you always on edge They've never given us a system in a monetary system where there's stability for any length of time to give you that feeling of security. When you feel secure, you start getting ideas like, I've got rights. And when you start to push certain laws through, you say, hey, you can't do that to me. And you might stand up for yourself. You get used to being in the same pasture and the grass is green. So they can't have that. They must have you always off balance with wars, rumors of wars, rumors of cometal impacts, meteorites, earthquakes, pestilence, famine, and all the rest of it, or wars abroad. That's the old trick, is to keep you always on edge. And when you're on edge all the time, you start to believe the guys that you think might, might be telling the truth, the big boys who tell you all this information. Maybe they're right. You'll never really be sure, you see. Because the abused turns to the abuser for help. Very old system. It's an abusive system. It's anti-human. The ordinary people never win in this system. It's not meant that you win. And when you're offered a hand of help by the big boys, you better run. Because believe you me, They might give you a good reason. You might want to believe it. But there will be behind it all a very good reason. The real reason. And you won't be told the real reason till you you see it turn into a fist. We are trained from cradle to grave with a very advanced system of scientific indoctrination by a television, cartoons even, right through to movies, predictive programming, getting us ready for the next step and the next step and the next step. Our conclusions are predetermined. We must come to their conclusions the way it's formulated and set out for us to to follow. That's how opinions are made by the public. They simply adopt them from their favorite talking head on the media or in a television debate. I always remember what Professor Carl Quigley said in the book Tragedy and Hope and his other one, The Anglo-American Establishment, concerning this dominant minority that really runs the world with all of its helping agencies, this capstone that had all these agencies beneath it like the pyramid, each specialized in one form or another of social control. 
and financial control and the control of all resources and necessities of life. And he said that we, the, the Council on Foreign Relations, the American branch of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, he said we don't mind negotiating and working with communists capitalist dictators etc and quite frequently do well of course they did because they created all of these sides you see long ago they planned the strategy the dialectic of the creation of opposites to force the herds of the people of the world into a certain path where they merged together into this new system, the third way, the third way of Plato. And the big philanthropic organizations, the big foundations are the driving forces because technically they're not governmental, but they influence everything within your lives. And the governments obey them because the foundations fund the NGOs that demand certain laws and rules and regulations to save the earth or to save something. There is a book out called Trading with the Enemy, a very good book worth getting, an expose of the Nazi American money plot 1933 to 1949. It's published by De La Corte Press, New York. The ISBN number is 0440-09064-4. And it's one of many books that have documented the big boys behind all of the financing and diminutions building and armaments of countries. And believe you me, you see, it's not what you think it is it's not the Christians or Jews or even Nazis really it's a psychopath within all groups that know that they're a big club a club of psychopaths who work together to fool all peoples A write-up on this book says, For almost 40 years the facts behind the extraordinary true story of Nazi-American wartime business relations have been buried in government files. Now at last Charles Hyman, or Hyam, H-I-G-H-A-M, drawing his account from thousands of documents just released under the Freedom of Information Act. It took a long time to release them, eh? Always about 50 years or 60. Has given us a full-scale picture of the American businessman who dealt with the Nazis right through World War II. Among those who traded on both sides of the war were certain executives of Standard Oil, that's Rockefeller, of New Jersey, the Chase Bank, part of the Federal Reserve, the Texas Company, IT&T, Ford, and Sterling Products. They missed out a few here, there's not GM. And helping them with their dealings were such government officials as a Secretary of Commerce and Assistant Secretary of State, and ambassadors to France and Great Britain. The Bank for International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland, was Nazi-controlled, but presided over by an American even in 1944. At one of its yearly meetings, the bank's president sat down with his German, Japanese, Italian, British, and American executive staff to discuss shipments of $378 million in gold sent to the bank by the Nazi government for use by its leaders after the war. This was gold looted from the banks of Austria, Belgium and Czechoslovakia or melted down from teeth filings, eyeglass frames and wedding rings of murdered Jews and I should add gypsies because they keep missing them. But that is only one of the stories. Standard Oil of New Jersey executives shipped the Nazis' oil through Switzerland while Allied forces endured restrictions of supplies and shortages abounded. Ford Motor Company trucks were built for Nazi troops with of authorization from four directors in the U.S. The chairman of ITT supplied much of Hitler's communication systems. 
the list of those who chose business as usual, even when the business was with their country's enemy, is long and shocking. Charles Hyman, or Hyam, biographer and former New York Times writer, presents a meticulously documented, dispassionately told, behind-the-scenes picture of American involvement with the Nazis before, during, and after World War II. And that's one of many books on this. Uh, one of the better ones, too, I've, I've read is to do with the front shell company called IG Farben, a book called The Crimes and Punishment of IG Farben is well worth reading because it goes into all of this too, how all the big boys in England, the United States and other warring countries got together to create this umbrella, which really was the war machine behind Nazism. A phenomenal story, and how during the Nuremberg trials, IG Farben still retained its name as a shell group, comprising all of these particular companies I've mentioned, and a lot more, including Baxter Laboratories, which uh, still gives inoculations and makes inoculations for people, someone you can really trust. Um, They sent over representatives, massive, big, big big-time lawyers, from the US to try and sway the investigation away from too much inquiry into IG Farben and the companies and the shareholders and the names of those involved. And yes, there were all people from all nationalities, all religions involved in it, including Jews. Something that should be looked at very carefully by Jewish groups. And those who followed the big foundations should definitely look into who these great benefactors are. All it is, as I say, is a PR job written by professional experts to to give you a false impression of these people because they're dynasties of psychopathic monsters. And war is business to them. In any shape or form, it's a business and they have incredible arrogance and incredible lack. In fact, there is no empathy at all in them. There's no shame, guilt. It doesn't exist. And these characters still run the world today. You know, Nazism has been decried and decried as though it was the only crime on the planet for so long. And yet Nazism, as the people generally know it, is only the outer shell of something much higher. Because in its higher form, it was not a German concept. It wasn't meant to simply be a local national thing. It was a world type of concept of evolution of the Superman the same philosophy exact same philosophy as those in the big foundations and their families believed in and it's still going on well it's alive it was a philosophy of perfecting humanity through special breeding and science now we have genetic engineering and you wonder who has been paying all the money into the genetic research. Do your homework. I hope by now, when you find the answers, you will not be surprised. If it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a... Yeah. That's the bottom line, and that's where we are in the world today. Rapidly coming to the end of the roller coaster ride of the age of Pisces into Aquarius, where a utopia is to be born, but only for an elite. The utopia will exist when their problems, the biggest problem they have, the masses, are either non existent, vastly reduced, 
but definitely when they have no minds of their own to think with because the greatest resistance they've ever had down through the ages comes from an idea an idea that comes from a mind they hope to extinguish the possibility of that ever happening again and if we sit back and be so darned passive and apathetic then it's game over and stop thinking about yourselves too this is a battle where you'll at least do something for all those who lived before and didn't know either what they were living through but mainly it's for those to come in fact those are the only ones you're fighting for now those to come who will have the rights and the ability to think independently and to experience all there is to be as a human being with all of its good times and its bad times its sorrows, its loves, its hates its rejections, its acceptances its sunny days and its rainy days that is the right to experience that regardless of what monsters like Aldo Huxley say that well most people aren't happy anyway what's wrong with giving them a false reality in other words a programmed reality they see nothing wrong with that You know, in ancient times, in early Christianity, the Gnostics, the early, early Gnostics, not the later ones, but early ones, at least, they took into the, the equation the probability of evil consequences and what the nature of evil was. And then when it migrated into the Roman Church, the Universal Church, they did away with that questioning into the whole nature of evil and that was the beginning of its downfall because evil has to be questioned and it starts with questioning oneself science as I say will be a cruel master it already is and the trick it uses is to convince the people that it masters that you are nothing that you are not special that there is no divinity in you there is no holiness in you there is no spirit you are simply a machine and it's done a great job of propaganda and indoctrination over the last hundred but mainly fifty years of convincing the public that that is so The trick they use is to convince you first. And once you believe it yourself, you have already acquiesced to that which will be done upon you. It's time to stop. From Hamish and myself, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.
Day. Mm-hmm.